Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. We're going to talk about uh, what no one else is most likely talking about because <laughs> right everybody's busy talking about uh, the movie that won the weekend, Wonder Woman, which they should, you know, like it's a, uh, like you, you saw it, right? I did. Yeah. I was at a screening last week. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to see it yet. Um, I'm a little uh, scorched on DC's output, but like I have to say, like the the Wonder Woman section of Batman versus Superman. Oh shit! Wait, I didn't acronymize it. <laughs> it's a uh, BVS DOJ. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All right. Like her section was uh, strong enough, and the director choice, Patty Jenkins, who's responsible for Monster, I think is a, a great movie, and I think that mm-hmm. overall. Her like her being selected is a bold choice. I think she's a, a very capable, striking filmmaker. And I think like choosing her to helm this movie is is a bold one. I'm just like I just get depressed because it's like, well, here's this like director who's made, you know, like great striking features. And it's like, this is the only game in town is comic book movies or Star Wars movies or some offshoot of Disney or Warner. Yep. And so it's just like, well, yeah, good for her. Yes, good for her. However, like, it's just like depressing that movies, other types of films aren't being, aren't part of like that game. That's the only one in town, you know, and it's, they're not esteemed and there's not like, the things that are sort of like rising to the top as often. Sure. There are like different types of movies that still manage to make a, a splash, like different mid-level movies that are still success stories, but they're fewer and far between. And the dominant ones are a, just a, a type of movie that's contributing to a monoculture. Even if the monoculture is encouraging because it's like, it's a, it's a woman director. It's a, woman empowerment story essentially is she an alien i know can she be considered a woman really she's from another land thymascara or something like that oh okay great um so yeah it's just like i might see this movie but it's just like even at their best we've talked about this ad nauseum but like at their best they're still becoming and contributing to a monoculture that mm-hmm. even when there are bold choices made they still all seem to blend into each other even when they have like virtuous intent and like positive mess takeaway messages, like there still is a sort of like an, an aesthetic that is so pervasive that it feels inescapable. And it's just like, there's nothing striking or awakening about any of these experiences at this point to the point where I don't even feel like I need to see them to have seen them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's an understandable feeling because I, I, you know, as we mentioned, I saw this, I gave it a shot. I've, so far been keeping up with the uh the DC extended universe. I've seen Man of Steel, BVS DOJ. I unfortunately watched Suicide Squad. Um you did in the theater or no? No, 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 no. We um it was on HBO. It's on HBO Go. So uh me and me and the girlfriend watched it and um holy cow, man. You had the how bad can it be sort of talk beforehand. <laughs> yeah, and we're like this will be fun. Like we 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 collectively agreed let's watch something shitty. We were in that mood together and we thought let's let's capitalize on that. Yeah. Here's Suicide Squad. I'm sure it'll qualify to watch something terrible based on what we heard, but it was like Oh, it's like embarrassing. It's it's just a mess of a movie. Um, Batman v Superman is quite a bit better than that. So, um, you know, yeah, use that as your your guide. So I've kept up, you know, I've uh, I've kept up sort of uh, even against my better judgment of not really liking a lot of these movies. Yeah. Although, you know, longtime fans of AYT might remember that you and I fought over Man of Steel a little bit. Like I. There was a lot I kind of liked about yeah, that. Tension movie. in the theater as we were watching it. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I think I said on mic that you you kind of ruined the experience for me because <laughs> you were snarkily uh, laughing throughout the movie. Um, it has its problems. Yeah, I think I probably uttered, "Come on." <laughs> After like the fifth Jesus pose, you were like, "Enough already!" Which... And your plea that like it's a Superman movie, come on! It's not subtle. It's not supposed to be. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Um, yeah. Now, so okay, yeah, I've, I've kind of 
I've been from the ground up. I've seen what they're they're building here with the, uh, these collection of movies. Wonder Woman, I I guess um, I would say for me was on a par with something like Man of Steel. So it had elements that I liked, but overall, really, when it comes down to uh, kind of what you were alluding to, is the the way. The, the all these kind of movies is gonna is creating a sort of monoculture, but the big thing I'm noticing is just a really monotone. Like everything looks the same in these movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. it's it's like it's becoming indistinguishable from each other, and I think that's by design. Yeah, but it's so like deadening to our senses. But here's here's another thing that I really felt with this one with Wonder Woman is, um, which is a shame too because the. This movie is a big deal, and it's um, exciting that it's making lots of money, and that a female director had a chance to do it. It's all those things are great. Is that the the effects and the the visual style of this movie, and a, a lot of these DC movies, a lot of these comic book movies, I don't even think they're that good. Like there are shots early on in Wonder Woman that were really um, kind of appalling green screen usage yeah. and stuff that you think that like you know. Uh, when you see a movie with good effects, it like you think we're kind of past that, but then there still is this massive machine that needs to keep moving at these studios that are trying to produce these mega franchises. And I, I mean, I don't know. All, all that we can do is speculate, and and you know, you hear about like how various effects houses are being used for one movie, so it's kind of piecemealed together. All of it st- sounds like it's this sort of rushed everything, the production of these things feels rushed. They have to reach yeah. this date. And I think I'm seeing it in the lack of like there, there were, there were a lot of shots in wonder woman where I was like, who actually signed off on that? Like the people making this movie thought it looked good. And um, I was kind of shocked by how bad it looks. So everything is not only looking the same, but in my opinion, these movies, they don't look very good. Um, and that is a shame uh, that, Movies are a visual medium, and I, I just think the most expensive, biggest ones being produced, you'd think they'd have the maybe the visuals up, like the top quality of that, but um, no, I mean, it's far from that. Yeah, it's uh, I think we talked about this with Alien Covenant, and then uh, was <laughs> <laughs> on purpose. Um, was that like they're in the in the sort of original alien there was like a need to make things you you could tell if something wasn't convincing on the set and so they had to find a way to make it work because they're there they're seeing like what effects aren't sort of making an impact and sure like you may not know the full extent of how it is or isn't working until you get the rushes but like this process now with the sort of modern blockbuster is all we're going to, we're going to do this later where all the after effects are coming in. So there isn't a sense, there isn't the same sense of involvement of earning the sort of big payoff moments to the point where people are getting conditioned as viewers so much that it's like, does any of that matter? Does like a dramatic investment even make a difference or are they just there to get yelled at by the spectacle for however long? Cause I've seen it work in movies that I feel like aren't earning their payoffs. You know, it's just like mm. a bombardment of the senses where buildings are exploding. You're not even sure what's going on. The sort of chaos cinema thing mm-hmm. where it's just like you, you just get bowled over bombarded and then you clap at the right moment, you know? And it's just like, well, these like, these aren't crafted. They're not like, the sort of like painstakingly charted out like De Palma sequences where you know where everything is going Mm. and you know like how it's happening and it's building suspense organically and earning the moments and the ultimate payoff. And it's just like seeing it happen to where like there's that level of sort of disengagement with the process where you're like, yeah, we're shooting them today and then we'll throw in a, a thousand explosions later. It's just like, what the, who the fuck is that for? Cause it's just not convincing anybody, but I say, who is that for? But then it's just like people clap on command anyway. So it's just like, does it make any fucking difference? You know? <laughs> well, it can start to feel like it doesn't. And I think that's what, um, that's the kind of stuff that really irks you and I. I, I think anybody that's listened to this show would probably be like, yep, that's the kind of stuff that bugs these guys. And I just think like, it's, it's hard for us. Cause we love, we want cinema. We want like, you know, we want to be uh, immersed. We want to be overwhelmed by what we're seeing and experiencing. I don't care what kind of movie it is, big or small. That's, we want to feel those things. And, yeah. um, 
when when we start to get the sense that it doesn't really matter how good it looks or how bad it looks or the audience is just only paying attention enough where it's passable, you start to sort of take offense to that. You're like, what about the stuff that I like care about? And it doesn't seem like that matters as much. And in a weird way, it, it makes me th- go back to your points you were making about Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman. I mean, what happens to people like you and me, moviegoers who are definitely in, in the minority, uh, even more so these days, that would prefer movies like Monster from Patty Jenkins, but mm-hmm. instead we're getting Wonder Woman. And that, as great as that is for her career, and you and I are, you know, obviously we want directors to have success. You know, like we're all for that positive stuff. But beyond that, I, I don't know if Wonder Woman is anything else worth championing. It's just sort of a, I think it's a historical footnote. It's important. But as a movie, you know, like I'm going to be honest about it. It's average at best. It's it's a typical comic book movie. So, um, yeah, what happens to guys like you and me when we want the monsters of the world and we're <laughs> we're getting the Wonder Woman and, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and all that stuff? You know, I it's, it's hard out there. It might be a, a good place to, to pivot to the sort of main meat of our topic, which is mm. uh the new movie by Trey Edward Schultz, uh, It Comes at Night. I'm gonna try and help your new family. Hey, I wanna thank you again for letting us stay here. Just gonna run through a few things. When we go out during the day, we like to stick to groups just for safety the red door. It's the only way in and out of the house. It stays closed and locked all the time. <laughs> I have the keys. It's the only set. <laughs> Most important thing. What's he see? It's okay. Just go inside. We never go out at night. It's a movie by a director who made like a, a, a pretty sizable impact with a tiny, tiny feature mm-hmm. called Krisha. And um, it's like that movie is a horror movie in feeling, but not in subject matter or in events. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like, that is something I, I, if I have experienced before, it is so few and far between that it still feels like jolting and, and, and refreshing and enlivening in a way. Mm. And so that movie had me in its like grip for however it's short running time. And like, that movie, Krisha, where he used uh, the filmmaker used most of his like real family, yeah, and like was able to follow the the title character through um, a family reunion and sensing everybody's unease around her as like a volatile figure of like an older woman who is sort of prone to breakdowns and uh, may or may not be like a substance abuser, and so it creates this sort of like uh, expressionistic atmosphere of like absolute like horror and tension like repulsion almost Mm. but like nothing conventionally horrific happens and so it's just like that's like where the fuck do we get that with any sort of regularity and like i was so grateful for like something bold and something visionary in that sense so when his new movie was on the horizon and a24 was at the helm of it like we'll I think we'll stand at attention anytime A24 puts anything out. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we're just, big... yes, yes, we will. We accept. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, <laughs> there, it looked like, he's like, oh, he's making a straight up horror movie. <laughs> and like with the title, you know, it comes at night, sort of has like an It Follows vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um the it in question who knows what that is um and like the teaser was like perfect because it had atmosphere which was what you got in krisha it had like a tone and it was just like that was enough i didn't see the full trailer until after i had seen the movie itself a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and i'm so grateful because it was just like well like that it spoils it it sort of like gives away moments that can't help but mislead an audience because yeah. there's like, there's no easy sell for this movie because it does the same thing in, in eliciting a tone, but it goes so in depth with it's like ensemble, which is a small one. 
um, you know, it's a, it's a group of survivors after some sort of like nameless apocalypse is going on. Yeah. Like a virus is going around. Yeah. Like some sort of outbreak happened, which like, keep in mind on paper, all of this has been covered exhaustively through like innumerable movies through too many walking dead episodes. Like, yeah people finding their own limits as they're pushed to the brink at the end of civilization. Like this is well covered territory. Mm -hmm. The fact that this filmmaker Trey Edward Schultz is able to tap into, uh, an emotional intensity through the performances of the ensemble and find a freshness and an electricity is the selling point of the movie. How easy is that to do, though, in this day and age where everybody needs a fucking quick sell, though? Mm-hmm. It's you tricky. Know? Yeah, I think, and I think that's where, like, A24 is good at playing to horror audiences because it's a built-in crowd that will go to anything. And um, hopefully the quality and the intensity of the movie will pull them along while they're not getting their conventional horror movie experience because like it's mostly a slightly surrealistic apocalypse melodrama. Yeah. 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 I mean, and he, Trey Edward Schultz seems clearly uh, based on his two features is like all about that domestic, the horror and the, the suspense, the tension, all the, I mean, there's beautiful things too in both movies, but mm-hmm. he he's not afraid to show, you know, it's not like this, he doesn't tip the scales all to miserabilism by any means, no. but he, he definitely is able to zero in this just domesticity and the murkiness that, that emerges from that, the complications, the, um, in this movie, it comes at night to me, just felt in many ways like an exercise in just creating tension in a relatively simple premise or a simple setup Mm -hmm. Um, and using and sort of occasionally hinting at more generic ideas, like what you were saying, the sort of cabin in the woods, the survival post-apocalypse, you know, the walking dead type stuff is it's, I like that he seems uh, Schultz as a filmmaker seems as sort of um, bored as you and I are about these tropes, but yet he does still think you can make something interesting within that. And I think he finds it in this movie, which is such a slow burn get in your brain and not like if if you, if you let this movie sort of like, if you, if you really let it work for you, like if you get invested in it, I mean, it was for me, I got sucked in pretty quickly to this film. Um, And, and it didn't release its grip on me until the end. Um, But hopefully, I don't know. It's going to be interesting what happens when this comes out. Cause I think this is, I believe they're going for a wideish release for this a two four and it's coming out on Friday, June 9th. It's, it is a much harder sell in terms of a horror picture than something like the witch from last year. The witch disappointed audiences once they saw it, you know, like mainstream horror audiences that went and made that movie a hit, a relative hit. I think for the most part, a lot of people didn't like that movie, you know, and the witch is much more of a traditional horror picture than something like it comes at night. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that like, you know, you you were mentioning that, uh, the filmmaker is as bored as you and I are because he, he finds, he, he, he accesses what's missing in the movies that people are used to. Mm -hmm. And like, I think, that's what the audiences ultimately, if they, if they hopefully do go, they will surrender to what it is giving you, which is the electricity and tension of interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. where it's like, like communication is so key in this movie between like a yeah. group comes, a, comes upon another group and trusting each other. And that like, you know, like it just boils everything to its, rawest Mm -hmm. and it's just like humans understanding and trusting each other has never not been uh, a completely compelling worthwhile and significant issue and it feels like now it's just as prevalent like us feeling like we can't trust one another and we're like pitted in this situation with each other it's just like he accesses that and it's like there's a there's a there's a part that I won't give away, but like 
someone says something in a very candid moment, oh. a candlelit sort of table scene where it's just like it's re- something is revealed and the person can't reveal that they registered what just happened. And so it's just like that tension. It's microscopic, but mm. it's like electrifying. And it's like that that permeates the whole movie. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a stunning movie. I think it's like. It's because he was working with a micro bu- budget in Krisha, like that that has a rawness to it that this has like a polish and it a sort does. of to it. Yeah. Like you you get a striking imagery where like a movie that's taking its time has the ability to sort of earn these kind of like iconic visionary pictures it's giving you as opposed to a movie that's co- constantly bombarding you with like, you know, sort of like stock uh, iconic imagery, you know, mm. that's just like, Oh, here's, here's Superman in his Christ pose. Like, for instance. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, this is just like, it, it was haunting. And it like it, you said it like didn't release its grip on you until the movie was over. But I think it like lasts longer than that. And it sort of like lingers and is just like, I, I really hope like in, in an era of like worrying that people aren't sort of paying attention and they're just, giving what they're they're just getting what what's being given to them and like not really sort of engaging with it this movie has to be engaged with and like you you would benefit from doing so yeah yeah Yeah. i mean if if we could do any service for this movie i think it's it's a few things of like if you are the kind of person that loves a slow build and actually will approach a movie for what it is as opposed to what you expect it to be. Cause this expectations are going to be the undoing of this movie. I think at least from an audience perspective, because if yeah. it hits, if it makes like 10 million this weekend, I think that'll be a big hit for a two four. But I really think the majority you'll see a steep drop after that. I think in the box office, because I think the, the audiences that are, that are getting sucked in or that are being sold on the movie as a horror picture are by and large going to be disappointed so we can just say, like, if there's anybody who likes, you know, uh, if there's more of like a typical horror movie audience that listens to this show and is thinking that this is like a monster movie or yeah. anything like that. No, it's not. This is about people. You know, there is there is this virus outbreak element in the movie, but it is only sort of that's meet- just the backdrop, basically. Yeah. In a way, it's not exactly a MacGuffin, but it is the means that that puts the story forward that we do watch unfold. And it's, it's, it's these, yeah, these small interpersonal lack of communication and tension scenes is, um, that stuff that like the movie as a whole is like one big suspense piece. I actually thought of it as a smaller version of something like the hateful eight, you know, like put these people in a room and just kind of, get to the micro elements in this movie. And it comes nights about these micro scenes, these, these moments where when you already distrust strangers, the wrong saying the wrong thing or, or misspeaking or not explaining the truth fully, you know, uh, things that I think are very human, normal things that suddenly are just uh, laden with all this uh, potential for it to all go wrong. And I think at, Something that uh, I really took away from It Comes Nice uh, that I actually found beautiful is the wrong word, but I thought was such a potent statement is like, is it even when when if you if the world were to get to a point like this where um, it's all gone to shit, essentially, you know, this uh, uh, think something of a, a major event has happened and people are it's just hunkering down to survival mode. Is it really like, what are you fighting for at that point? You know, like you've got family, which a lot of this movie is about like what you'll do for you, you know, your son, your, your kids, yeah. your, your wife or your husband. But beyond that, like when you strip everything else away, it almost just, it's almost like this movie is saying like, really, what is, what are you fighting for? And, and just see people so easily stripped to like their barest, like most vicious, visceral, like survivalist mentalities. And it usually, um, it isn't going to end well, you know? And I don't know. I, I, I felt like this movie was being so true, sticking to its guns and being so honest about human nature that like, I found that refreshing as opposed to something like wonder woman, you know, I'm just going to 
only bring this up briefly is that like that movie is like, of course people are excited for it. Like it's time by now. It's ridiculous that we haven't had a female led superhero movie, you know, like since Electra or whatever that, you know, like that that's ridiculous. So, you know, the, the time is now it's well past now to have like a female superhero kicking ass. Like, so yeah, that, that has a lot of goodwill around it. Much more challenging is to put a movie out in this climate in the summer movie climate called It Comes at Night that is being sold as a horror movie, but is really this domestic, like, survivalist thing that has, um, that is beautiful, but also really willing to be uh, open and honest about the the sort of ugly truth of how a story like this would probably play out. And um, that truth, you know, is just so lacking, not only in the summer movie season, but even in the, you know, the award season, the, the fall and winter, you know, so... Um, I just, I, I appreciate so much about this movie while also just really loving being wrapped up in a complete just tension grip throughout the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think that you mentioning it's a slow burn by like, I think it, it's, it's making it read as though it's like, Oh, it's homework. It's arduous, (laughs) which like, to me, it's like, it's only a slow burn in comparison with like the overload that most movies most modern blockbusters have become like this movie still it's like it's got a clip to it and it's got like and it's it moves so quickly and mm-hmm. it's like a, it's a short like 90 minutes and so it's just like it like if you really give yourself over to it 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 is gripping from start to finish and like a lot of that is uh the filmmakers handle on the performances and then the performances themselves like this is a great ensemble with Joel Edgerton Christopher Abbott is continuing to become like one of my favorite young actors you know from James White to this like he's like he's so raw and so just like present and like one of one of the actors that is really like committing and like and doing the work you know that just like leaves an impression can't so, forget can't forget Riley Keough plays his his wife in the yeah. movie and she's just been popping up in so much good stuff lately like uh you know American Honey from last year and uh and you you really see her range in those two movies uh right. from from this to that and she was great in the first season of The Girlfriend Experience I'm I really like her as an actor Yeah the actually American Honey was something I was going to bring up because it is an A24 film it's Andrea Arnold she you know she's an amazing uh director and she's a, you know, like she was a, a, an example of somebody who was like, what if she got given one of these big blockbuster movies? Like, it seems like she's not interested in doing that, but it's just like, like, well, good for her. It's the only game in town. And it was just like, to me, there was something so disheartening about how uh, American Honey was like, I think it did well at festivals. Um, but it just well, like people couldn't be bothered. It seemed like with it's like, you know, sort of difficult running time being three hours, and like I don't know, it was just that that was something that was like sort of disheartening to me. There was like here's this epic movie that like just does what most movies are unwilling to do and finds these moments that movies can't access anymore. And I think A24 is just becoming great at finding these movies that are able to like target and access what's largely getting glossed over Mm. in these numbing modern movies, you know? Absolutely. They're, I mean, they're so, I mean, it's, there are, they are really nurturing moviegoers like you and me and hopefully developing younger audiences that there are alternatives that are really worth seeking out at the cinema, you know, really going out to the theater for something that more and more seems atypical of what's at a multiplex or at a theater. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that alone is so great. Um, I also couldn't help but think of uh, the Rover when I watched it comes at night Um, and another a two four release. In fact, directed by David Michaud, who I think is going to come up later on in the show. Uh, uh, A favorite director of ours for sure. Um, I think there's something really interesting and this is probably just coincidence, but there you definitely get a sense of the, the people in charge at a two four have a certain sensibility that they're attracted to uh, and a certain type of film that they're looking to, you know, put out there. 
And I, I loved how, in a way, I think the Rover and It Comes at Night are almost like speaking to each other. They're, they'd be a great double feature in a repertory house like 20 years from now because they both have these uh, genre conceits, a sort of post-apocalyptic thing that isn't explained very much, but it's more about the characters and zeroing in on an intimate story while still giving you and acknowledging you know, those types of movies that they play in very well, I would say. Um, and the rover, it was a financial collapse. You know, it comes at night. It's a virus outbreak. But I think, um, is it just me or is with movies like this, as like A24 is like sort of tracking the end of civilization in a way that's actually, um, I, I think, just kind of interesting with some of these movies. Uh, and I, I just think it's cool that I'm starting to, and it, it's if it's just me putting these things together, so be it. But I, I see a a connective tissue to a lot of their releases and a lot of these sort of left of center genre movies that they put out there, these sort of indie genre titles that they're doing. Um, and I just, I don't know. I think there's something um, brave is the wrong word, but they're putting out movies that are willing to be bleak and honest about what that situation could be. And um, they're having success with it. I mean, the Rover didn't do very well, but you know, we loved it and they've had success yeah. with some of their other titles, but I, I don't know. I just think it's really interesting that these movies are sort of speaking to each other. Yeah. It's the Rover, I think is also similar in that it, um, it scales back uh, the apocalypse in a similar way to it comes a night mm-hmm. um, to having it like the, the devastation is sort of like isolated to these broken individuals that are kind of roaming the, the like leftover landscape. And yeah. it's, so it's, it's like isolating what drives people after everything is gone. And it's a, it's a fucking heartbreaking movie. Yeah. It's like there, it's so humanistic and you know, it's got, I mean, a two four, like, might be by accident, but they, they seem to have a stable of actors. You know, Robert Pattinson is in the Rover. He's going to be in the Safdie brothers new, or he is in the Safdie brothers new movie. Good time, which is coming yeah. out summer by a two four. And, you know, Riley Keogh, who you mentioned is, mm-hmm. you know, in a few of the films. And so like that, that film is like, is so quiet. And so like you, f- like instead of, being overwhelmed and not feeling the consequences of anything the way most sort of overstuffed modern blockbusters are like you feel the consequence of every bullet fired in yeah. the road. you feel the sort of like sting and hurt of haunted people who feel like they have nothing left to live for and it's just like that's like putting you in touch with like the loneliness and the hurt that will be the sort of like the actual fallout as opposed to just like rubble and buildings like being blown up, you know, which is what the other movies that are dominating the conversation, like that's what they're fixated on. Yeah. And like A24 is showing you what isn't getting shown in these movies. Yeah. And there's like a brutal pragmatism to the Rover and it comes at night where it's like a sort of logical, like, yeah, if you make certain choices in a situation like this, your human desire to like your need like survival mode kicks in and it's going to lead to you know you're going to make some really tough choices and it's probably not going to end well like that isn't a hopeful you're not giving much to the audience to to like sort of lean into and feel hope to come away from the theater but there's like an honesty to that and that's refreshing is like brutal and bleak the worldview can be in these movies. They're, they're never overwhelmingly like you don't feel like you've been put through the ringer of like miserableism, at least for me. I, I, I just appreciate the honesty um, on display in the filmmaking. And um, you know, another, another thing I wanted to talk about with it comes at night is the um, you had alluded to it a little bit, the sort of graceful camera work in this movie or the, the way it's made. And for one, I just loved the sort of repetition. There's like this visual motif of the camera pushing in, that that um, also leads to a sort of claustrophobia with the the widescreen image because it feels like the screen is clamping down on you. But I'm I'm curious if you noticed um, because uh, it comes at night actually occasionally changes aspect ratios. Did you did you notice this? Because it's something that Schultz did in Cretia like to a much more obvious uh, extent. Is that anything you noticed? I'm just curious. Um, I sort of felt it in the kind of hallway sequences. Yes. Where- yeah, and so it just it just felt like 
along with the sinking strings that kind of felt like the shining at times. Uh-huh. Um, like there, there was, there was something kind of like elastic happening, you know, mm-hmm. which like led to a sense of like queasiness and unease. Yeah. Yeah. So like in, uh, and just in quick and Cresha, he, I think he goes from the boxy, like four, three aspect ratio. Then he goes to like a more typical one, eight, five. And then he'll like the, the last third of the movie of Cresha is like straight up like scope widescreen. He mm-hmm. does that like deliberately. It's like chapters, the movie in thirds. Um, it's much subtler and it comes at night, but it, this seems to be something that Schultz is like really interested in is like how we can change the, um, the the size of the image on the screen and the way it fits the screen but in it comes a night it's 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 a scope you know 235 widescreen image but yeah there are moments specifically the sort of nightmare elements and then near the end as the tension and um uh the sort of like uh distrust between the characters has reached a boil i noticed the screen can slightly slightly continues to get skinnier and skinnier the image <laughs> And I, um, at first I was like, that is such an odd, subtle choice. And I'm typically not crazy about directors, like not caring about aspect ratios. Like I'm usually more like, you should be a little more purist about it. Like choose one thing and stick with it. But, um, I think Schultz is doing some interesting stuff with that. And it comes at night, the suffocation that using a widescreen image, but making it feel like it's suffocating and, and coming in on you, like, uh, mm-hmm. almost like, uh, like the walls or the ceilings and the floors are coming in, you know, and, and ready to squish you down. There's just, I really liked the effect it had on me. I, I mean, I certainly noticed it. I, I think most audiences won't, but they are going to feel it subconsciously if they're in the movie. And I, I think there's something to the way he uses that technique, which is pretty new. You know, it has to, you really can only do this with digital um, projection because if you're doing this on film, you'd have to switch out lenses and it'd be much more, near impossible and complicated, but you know, as Wes Anderson proved at the grand Budapest hotel, you know, with digital projection, you can kind of experiment with these and, and sort of demarcate different parts of a movie or in the case of it comes at night, he uses it to like, you know, get reach a boiling point of tension with, um, to sort of amplify, you know, scenes of like terror and and tension that we've seen before, but they play out a little bit in a fresh angle. And, um, I really, at first was a little bit confused by it. And then I was like, I kind of see what he's doing and I, I really started to appreciate it by the end. Yeah. So I, I hope that, um, everybody wakes up and goes to see it. <laughs> exactly. It's a nightmare. Our hope is that you're the man who will get the job done. I can't tell the difference between the people and the enemy. They all look alike to me. You're the leader of U S forces in Afghanistan and you have spoken to the president once in 70 days. That, General, you must know, is a war you will never win. May I help you? No, finish your phone call. The war can wait. I mentioned David Michaud, uh, director of The Rover, director of Animal Kingdom as well. Two two great movies, in my opinion. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yours too. Um, we're, We're big fans. Uh, director we really like we're we're at this point we anticipate anything he's got coming out mm-hmm. and uh i remember you know whenever it was announced maybe a year ago netflix was given michaud a lot of money and brad pitt was gonna star in this movie war machine for for netflix and uh it, it has come out it came out uh about two weeks ago maybe yeah and uh boy um it, it it our editor in chief at the playlist Rodrigo Perez gave it a really like uh, pretty pretty negative review I think a C minus grade called it a a, a misfire mm-hmm. um, and he's on record I think as being a fan of his previous films um, yeah the, the response has not been great for this movie and uh, you know before we I guess at least briefly talk about our thoughts in the movie like I'm wondering what you think about uh, because there's been other Netflix titles we've had planning to talk about on the show. But as we've watched them, these new Netflix original movie releases, um, there's there was Win It All from Joe Swanberg. There was the yeah. movie Tramps from Adam Leone, who did uh, Give Me the Loot a few years back, a little indie we liked. Uh, and then uh, there's another one I'm I'm forgetting. What was it? Small oh, Crime by E.L. Katz. Right. Your your favorite movie from a few years ago, Cheap Thrills, a great right. little genre movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's his follow-up. So these are all movies that, you know, movie nerds, people that pay attention, directors that are up and coming. 
um, we're a fan of. Like, we want to see their work. So it sounds like, hey, this is awesome. Netflix is providing, uh, you know, they're they're giving these directors sort of carte blanche. They're buying their work, giving it a place uh, to be distributed and seen, you know, potentially seen by many more people than if it were put in theaters. Yeah. But, you know, all that, you know, is sort of nice on the surface. But when it gets down to it, um, I have not really been that excited by any of these movies after watching them. There was an excitement beforehand and after yeah. each one I've seen a bit of a letdown. So right. what's going on in Netflix? <laughs> I don't. Okay. So as like a certain type of movie is under the threat of being squeezed out of like, you know, not only just the theatrical experience, but like out of existence just because like there isn't like a, a proper platform for it. Like, streaming services are there to provide that platform and so they like this is where most people will you know you know it's sad to say but it's like this is where most people will watch these films like if they don't see them in the theater so uh, like let's just cut out the middleman and like let's let's in netflix's case because like amazon still focuses on the theatrical release um but like netflix just puts them like straight to streaming opening a few like opening on a few screens in LA maybe somewhere else but like yeah. I don't again I don't know where these theaters are in LA I've, I never go to them never heard of them interesting um but so like they're 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 providing a place for these movies that are being threatened to be squeezed out of existence to still exist and thrive so directors like David Michaud who like made a fucking visionary film both with Animal Kingdom and The Rover mm-hmm. like The Rover didn't perform like in america very well like it made i think like three million of its like eight to twelve million budget and like that's that's a loss you know and And they released it really wide and yeah just yeah yeah yeah. so 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 what happens like is there is there something that happens to the filmmaking process when you know that the primary way it's going to be seen is at a, you know, for all intents and purposes, uncinematic venue, like people's homes, on their phone, on their laptop, on their TV. Like, is there something that limits the cinematic experience knowing it's not going to be in a cinema? Like, is there something that allows you to sort of compromise the experience? Because you're like, well, eh. You know, like, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I would bet that each filmmaker would say, no, I approach it the exact same way with the same attentiveness, the same professionalism, the same artfulness, everything. But it doesn't feel that way. And is that just the experience we're getting from the way we're watching it? I don't know. Because, yeah. like, War Machine feels like it was because of the opportunity that it was given like, you know, like, oh, I get to make I get to make whatever I want with Netflix. Great. Uh, so let me take a chance. Let me make a, a comedy, a satirical comedy. And um, even though that's not really my tone or my strength. So it's just like, yeah, let's take a chance. Oh, like Brad Pitt's often great in comedies. He's great in Burn After Reading. He's great in, you know, like comedic performances and non-comedic movies like True Romance. You know, like mm-hmm. he's a great character actor. So it's just like what a what a perfect marriage. But this movie, I think Rod is right that it is a misfire. It's a tonal sort of, sort of like mess most of the time. It's a movie that like I think a half hour into it, they're in a control room because it's about a like a, a war general sent to clean up the Afghan experience, the, the Afghanistan war, and our experience in Afghanistan, and what a clusterfuck that is. And it's just like that you know, war being impossible is something that we've like, we've experienced through several movies, uh, you know, Dr. Strangelove, full metal jacket, mm-hmm. just, just to name Stanley Kubrick's movies. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in that scene, in the sort of like control room scene, you get that Dr. Strangelove claustrophobia where the sort of hook of the movie is, uh, where Brad Pitt says like, we're here to support the population. And we can't do that if we're killing them. 
great. There's the joke of the movie. There's the impossibility of the movie. There's the satire laid out. And it's just like, that's as clean as the movie gets. And the rest of the time, it doesn't really know. It doesn't know where its strengths are. There's a scene with Ben Kingsley where he's sneezing. And that's the joke of the scene. It's just like, what am I watching? What the fuck? And like, when... David Michaud is making a movie that, by and large, isn't a comedy. He's probably getting bigger laughs in certain scenes just because he's not concerned with, like, maintaining the tone of a comedy, which, if it comes across as desperate, just does not land. Totally. And, unfortunately, that's what happens a lot with this movie is that it (laughs) comes across as too strained, too desperate, and just too meandering. Yeah, yeah. There are sections that do work that, like, because I remember texting you pretty early on. I was like, wow, I think I hate this movie. And uh, (laughs) later on, I was just like, "Ah, now I feel bad for saying that. Because, like, there's a section with um, Lakeith Stanfield where it's a combat sequence where it's just like, well, this is where David Michaud thrives as a director. Mm -hmm. It's like a non-comedic scene. It's a tragic scene. It's devastating. And it's just like that. That's where he, that's his pocket. And it's just like I commend him for like trying out uh, a genre and tone that's like unlike anything he's done before. But he needed to find his strength within it. And it's just like I'm waiting just for the like an experience where like the experimentation with these platforms where we have directors we love taking chances land because I don't know why they're not. I know that's the biggest thing. And it's like not necessarily fair, right? Like it just happened to be that these movies have come out in the last few months, sort of one after the other. And it's, it's an early, um, you know, like early examples of movies that they've actually produced Netflix and that they're putting out. So it it could get better. I mean, later this month, we are going to get a new Bong Joon-ho movie, Okja, Mm -hmm. which I'm very excited for. I've read mostly good things. Um, uh, our, our critics at, uh, uh, can for the playlist like they uh, it was Jessica Kiang wrote the review she was it was pretty much a glowing review so I'm excited for that and hopefully that will change uh, this feeling that we have but uh, I can't escape that it's like man each one I've been excited for in advance has has at the best been a letdown and um, mm-hmm. and I'm just left wondering yeah like what is it and it's I think it's just something we'll have to keep working out and keep keep uh, obviously you know, we're going to keep watching these and trying to see hope, hopefully for something better. Uh, and maybe it'll make more sense, but, um, yeah, for all the attention Netflix has been getting, especially around the Cannes film festival, most of what was being reported was how Netflix is being booed. Uh, you know, the French are trying to keep Netflix movies from entering the festival in future years. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, uh, I think it was Ted Sarandos is one of the main people on Netflix is like any publicity is good for us. It's like, they're in the conversation. So there's, there is a lot of talk about Netflix, but like, man, when you get down to it, the movies, the stuff that is sort of their main, um, I mean, they've got so much content out there that we're not even touching on. Right. But yeah. these ones seemed most exciting for a cinephile audience. And it's just it's right. crushing to have that be a disappointment so often. So, yeah, I mean, I think one of the sort of like good examples um, is uh, making Blair's film that we yeah. reviewed. Well, you know, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that movie, I think, even though it's sort of tonal transitions are kind of just as wobbly as war machines at times, it's uh, it's like execution of the tones that it has trouble transitioning between the two or between the three or four. Like its execution of those tones is a lot more masterful. Yeah. you know, like I, I think that that is a sort of like shining example of like the type of the type of movie that like we can hope for more of. But it's like now you're you're starting to see the kind of like acts come down with uh, Netflix with like the, the get down. Uh, yeah. That Roman's show like that got canceled since eight got canceled. So I think the more expensive endeavors are starting to get like they're starting to hit the chopping block. And so we're starting to see the limits of even this as an alternative. Yeah. Which is it's, it's too bad because it's like, I know that um, we talked about Megan Ellison a long, long time ago with Mm -hmm. Anna Perna and her output and how she was like rescuing a lot of these like smaller movies and putting them out. And 
uh, she's got a new one she produced, uh, The Bad Batch. It's coming out soon. Yeah. The new Anna Lily Amir Poor. But it's a, just like her and A24, like the burden can't fall squarely on these like mm. tiny distributors. A24, neither one of them are tiny, mind you. Yeah. But like, you know, like Oscilloscope, Magnolia, like these, the burden can't be, like the, it has to be picked up by the audience as well. Like the audience has to want and crave these things and in this case demand for more rewarding content yep here here man absolutely i mean you know macon blair director of i don't feel at home at, at this world anymore he his director he's worked with uh in his previous films jeremy saulnier i think he's got a movie coming out for netflix uh either later this year or 2018 i think it's his next project yeah so hopefully you know saulnier has been good to us the last few efforts you know i hope he can can crack through and you know it's not necessarily fair to put all this pressure on a filmmaker like man it has to be a good one because netflix is giving all this money but um yeah there's some effect that's happening where these are good filmmakers at least they've put several projects in a row that that were good or great in our opinions and something you know something is happening that that isn't translating necessarily to that same feeling with with these Netflix projects. So yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but we'll have to keep looking after it. Cause, uh, I want, I want it all to work out. I want us, the audience to, to win and get good movies. That's, you know, mm-hmm. what, what we want, but, uh, yeah, uh, you can only, you can only sort of champion Netflix so long before you have to actually look at the, the stuff they're making and kind of call them out. If it's not up to snuff, I guess, yeah. I guess another one I would say quick that I did like was the five came back, the, the three-part mm-hmm. documentary that that's one that's been a highlight for me this year. So well, I, I think definitely like documentaries are, are something that like most people for like for a long time now have uh, most audiences are like, they've been going to streaming services to watch that content for yeah. a lot longer now. Cause yeah. it just, why would I go to a theater to watch a documentary? You and I would disagree with that, but it's just like documentaries are really where like, they're really thriving in that venue. So it's like, I think, I think you're right. Like that's, that's a strong one. And there's like plenty other to name, but we're not going to do it here. <laughs> no, Jesus Christ. Like tune in next time. We'll name a few. Exactly. All right. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we wrap up episode 147 here? What do you say? That sounds good. All right. This podcast is a part of the playlist podcast network. You can find us, uh, our other episodes and those of our other shows at the playlist.net. You can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter. What's the handle at Twitter? At adjustyourtrack. That's right. Um, No promises, but, you know, we're there. We're there. You can find us. Reach out to us if you feel like it. Um, So, yeah, uh, if you do and if you listen to this show, we thank you very much for that. But first, foremost, and uh, right at the bottom of the show, I got to say thank you, Joe, for talking to me. Thanks, Eric.